Weedy 2021, our annual spring conference showcasing health IT best practices and emerging trends, is coming soon and it's all virtual. May 14th and 17th is our pre-conference with sessions on prior authorization, a special showcase on HL7's DaVinci project, and our vendor demo day. May 18th, 19th, and 20th, join us as we discuss burden reduction, health equity, digital ID, and much more. Register online at weedy.org and enter the code PODCAST to receive 20% off our registration rates. Weedy 2021, pre-conference May 14th and 17th, main conference May 18th through the 20th. Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. My day job is Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous's mission is to enable providers to simplify and save on their payments and claims. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I. Weedy is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Today, we're going to talk about provider information, provider data, addresses, who's in network, who's out network, what's going on in the industry, and what Weedy is going to do or thinking about doing in that space. Accurate information about who's in network, who are your network providers, is becoming more and more important for all parties in the healthcare industry, and perhaps most importantly for us, the consumer, the patient, right? Uh, We have to know which providers to visit because so often and much more lately, we're shouldering so much of the costs. And we're honored to have Michelle Barry to help us weed through all of this. Michelle is Weedy co-chair of the Provider Information Workgroup. She's also X12 liaison to CAQH Core, and apparently her day job, uh, when she has time for it, is the Director of Expert Health Plan Provider Data Management at Availity. Michelle is active in the Standards Developer Organization X12, uh, CAQH Core, and of course, our Weedy. And before her current role at Availity, Michelle worked at United Health and at Blue Cross Blue Shield Florida. Michelle, happy to have you on our show and talk us through this issue. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate the time today. And it's exciting to hear all of the great work we're doing in the healthcare industry. A little bit of history about myself, and you did such a great job. I'm just going to add um, my passion has always been around electronic capabilities for our providers as well as connecting providers. From a technology perspective, way back in the day when it was formerly um, HICFA, now CMS, and really bridging the gap between the providers and the health plans and taking that transactional information and moving data as often as needed and then making that data available to consumers, um, health, uh, beneficiaries, of course, uh, from a CMS perspective, Medicare, Medicaid, And also keeping that data as accurate and crisp and available when it's needed. So, again, that has been my passion, Um, years and years and years of experience on the technical and business side. Some folks would say I'm an integrator because I can talk tech and I can talk business. 
and really drive the relationships between the providers and the health plans. That's always been my passion and desire to continue that. Um, and again, understanding uh, paralegal background, so I bring that federal regulatory understanding of what is taking place in the healthcare industry today and making it simpler to understand, to ingest. Um, so that is me and my passion and my desire and looking forward to continuing to be a change agent in the healthcare industry. Ter- terrific. And, you know, in this, on this program, we talk a lot about bridges uh, and you sound like uh, you're a sort of bridge on many different aspects, right? You've got the business uh, married with the technical, the IT aspect. Uh, you've got the legal aspect. And, and I think uh, more and more what is needed uh, perhaps, you know, across all industries, but certainly for the healthcare industry, is having people who have the ability, like you said, to crunch complex topics, whether they be technological topics or legal compliance topics, into understandable, digestible bites, uh, right? Because uh, things are just getting more and more complicated out there. Absolutely, they are. And it's great for us. I think that also from a worker perspective at Weedy, provider information subwork group members are vested, truly genuinely vested individuals that come to the table with suggestions, ideas, opportunities, and really getting in there to say, how can we inform and educate the industry as a subwork group? And it's not just about educating the provider of the health plan. We also educate clearinghouses, vendors, trading partners. Very good. So, so let's think about this topic. Now, we're, we're, we're living in a modern age, uh, right? We've got all the information we need at our fingertips. Uh, you know, if I want to buy a, a pink flamingo tomorrow, I could, I could probably find someplace on the Internet. Um, but it seems to be this, this real difficulty with getting correct addresses for providers, correct, accurate information, you say, about the, the doctors who are supposed to be in our network. Um, wh- why is this such a, a problem? Like, what's the issue? What, what, what's, the, what's the problem? So that's a great question. Um, and I'm going to use my integrator language. When we talk about the two-legged belly button human providers, practitioners, MDs, DOs, et cetera, those type one individuals are the ones that travel most often. They, they become a participating signed contracted employee with a particular brick and mortar or they become a part of a provider lease network for a particular health plan in a rural location, California, for instance, or Texas. So, again, understanding those two-legged belly button human type 1 MPIs, and then we talk about the type 2. The type 2s don't typically move but they have what we call a change of ownership where their mergers and acquisitions come into play. And as you know, tax identifications are a part of that chow change of ownership process. So then you have doing business as legal name and then service location versus mailing address versus billing address. So it becomes this complicated web that we have started to continue to weave in the healthcare industry. 
and really trying to drive the two-legged belly button humans, type 1, they can only be in one location at one time. <laughs> so we have to make sure that if Michelle Berry is at service location 1234 Southwest Street on Mondays and Tuesdays from 8 to 12, that the provider directory gets to that level of specificity. And oh, by the way, Michelle Berry practices at another location on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and she's only accepting new patients at those locations or that location. So there's a lot of complexity about in-network and making sure that the provider is not only in-network credentialed, enrolled, contracted, but that directory is updated. So the consumers of healthcare, us, are looking for a provider that's in-network based on our membership with a particular health plan. Um, give you an example, um, you know, as TRICARE members, majority of our membership travels throughout the country, overseas, back and forth. So there is no necessarily sticking with one particular primary care physician. But as you transition from one state to another, your medical care transitions, just like um, a civilian. When you're in civilian world and, you know, you're going from one practitioner to a specialist, you want to make sure that that referral that referred provider is in network with your health plan. Yeah, and we've certainly so keeping, seen... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say just keeping that data fresh, keeping mm. it updated, keeping it accurate, and making it available. So we've seen, and, and I'd like to get to the, the what the Weedy Work Group is doing in, in this area in just a moment, but we've seen certainly in the last five or ten years with the, the access... Uh, and availability uh, state requirements coming down, uh, certainly for health plans and to a lesser extent providers, that you know there's this this push to to update uh, the make sure the update uh, directory information is is current, is up to date, and to verify it. In order to do that, um, health plans often have to reach out to the their providers to verify the information. And now we have the No Surprises Act, which kind of is going to put that kind of same kind of concept of keeping that information updated and verify it with the provider every three months, which sounds great for consumers because it sounds like we'll have real-time information, but it sounds completely overwhelming for a provider who might deal with 20, 30, or 40 uh, health plans uh, on any given quarter and, and every three months has to check a box or find some. That sounds like it's very complex, even though the idea is to get things very accurate. Is that, is that another problem we're facing or is that something that's that's that you think is being solved? Matthew, that's a great question. Again, I I have to say that it is a very complex law. The No Surprises Act in regards to provider directory data. Um, and I think it's important that we talk about what does it mean to me as a provider? Does it mean that I have to notify my contractual health plan in a certain period of time, and then once I notify my health plan, whether I use a portal, a non-health plan portal, or an actual health plan portal, how quickly as a health plan does that information have to be updated? Well, the No Surprises Act really goes into that legislative detail. 
um, as far as timing is concerned. And yes, we understand that majority of the participating um, uh, MAOs, MCOs, QHPs, CHIP that are participating in the federal government plans and state regulatory plans, they have to do this every 90 days. The providers have to inform a test to their contractual agreed upon data that they share with the health plan. And the health plan is ultimately responsible for ensuring that data, that attestation, that attested data is shared with the consumers, their membership, and shared in a timely manner. Well, No Surprises Act takes it a step further meaning that the data has to be available within hours, 48 hours in some situations, or if it's a phone call. If a provider picks up the phone and calls provider relations representative at United Healthcare or another health plan, Aetna, Cigna, um, Florida Blue, for instance, that particular health plan has to update that phone call information, that provider directory update in one business day. Yes. So the complexity of the No Surprises Act is is very, very informing. Um, it affects everyone in the healthcare <laughs> ecosystem. So would love to share more details, and the work group is going to continue to further define what does this really look like and create opportunities solely for health plans. Right? What does this mean as a health plan? What does this mean to me as a provider? What does this mean to me as a vendor clearinghouse training partner? Good. So we, we look forward to that. And and I'll just mention here that uh, Weedy's starting to think about um, all different aspects, as, as Michelle just pointed out, right? You're thinking about the directory requirements. There's also some transparency uh, requirements, including uh, advanced explanation of benefits is what the No Surprises Act refers to it. Um, there's also a number of other uh, issues within that No Surprises Act. It's really quite a broad act. We think about it as is just prohibiting surprise balance billing, but there's a lot more in there. Uh, Weedy's going to be unpacking it, and I'll just make a, a note from our sponsor here. Uh, Thursday, May 20th, Thursday, May 20th, mark your calendars, 315. Weedy's having a Understanding the No Surprises Act and its implications for the industry. Uh, it's a short one-hour uh, toe-in-the-water toe uh, for Weedy, and then expect a lot more as um, – as Michelle has said, uh, from Weedy in terms of educating the uh, industry and talking about maybe Weedy's role and how we can help the industry roll this out. So, Michelle, on that note, um, maybe talk a little bit more and, and maybe talk about the um, uh, your you know, the work, Weedy work group on provider information, uh, what you're working on now, what you're most excited about, and uh, maybe you can start from the beginning and, and why it came to be in the first place. Absolutely. And Matthew, it was a great conversation. It was a conversation between colleagues, and we decided to position this as an opportunity because it was just a conversation. In the middle of a hotel lobby, there was a provider group, large provider group. There was a clearinghouse. There was health plans in this detail-level conversation. And we said, let's put a proposal into the Weedy Board to see what we can do around provider information, credentialing, everything that affects our transactions, the way we exchange data. It's not just about directories anymore, right? It's 
everything related to provider information. And we always had this conversation, okay, who's going to be on point for putting in the request? So we came together the following month as a work group before we were officially approved. And we said, okay, we're presenting this information to the Weedy Board. We positioned it. We provided our charter or scope. We talked about what was in scope, what was out of scope. And we got approved that same week. The following week, we had the most outrageous, wonderful work group, I guess you could say, establishment meeting for the first time, and it was standing room only. We counted a hundred people in that conference room. Wow. Oh, wow. Yes. I, I love that story too. I love the, the nucleus of that story, uh, which is the beautiful thing I think about Weedy is where you had different, different stakeholders from different angles of a problem uh, <laughs> passing in a hotel lobby and then I love the ending, too. That's great, having a, a packed room, because clearly there's a need to discuss this issue. That's a great story. And this goes back to 2017. When we were in D.C., we were attending a weedy session, and it was just this obvious, we need to do something. The healthcare industry is asking. And um, we formulated our work group, and like I said, staying room only, we're focusing on everything from provider data. What does that mean? If I'm, an, if I'm submitting an authorization, does it mean that I have to have the right provider information to submit an auth? Absolutely, if you do not want that auth to be denied. So having conversations with other sub-work groups and other work groups in Weedy positions ourselves to be very open, and we share amongst our work groups and sub-work groups about provider information. And people invite us, we invite them. What can we solve for now? And one of the things that we're solving for now, outside of the No Surprises Act, was really talking about interoperability. Hmm. That was our focus, looking at interoperable. How can we make sure that provider information is a part of that without anybody having to go, um, did we include the right provider service location for Monday and Tuesday? Hmm. It would be automatic. So, again, we were really focusing on where the issues have been. What can we do now to stay ahead and educate and inform the industry so that we're not going back to 1970s and going, okay, we need a paper directory still. Mm. So, Michelle, uh, just to clarify, um, when you say uh, provider information has to be part of interoperability, are you referring to the, you know, the small i interoperability, that idea that, you know, two systems of maybe different uh, vendors uh, are able to talk to each other? Uh, or are you referring to the broader um, government initiative interoperability, starting back with meaningful use and and trying to get the, uh, the 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 pipes of clinical information cleaned up and moving from one entity to the other? Is that uh, is that big eye or little eye interoperability that you think provider information should be a part of? It's a great question again, Matthew. I, again, I think it's really both. I think what we're trying to do is really trying to bridge 
all of the opportunities that we talk about and really meaningful use, interoperability, interoperable, having that whole transition of information regardless of, of who we are. And as a consumer of healthcare, you know, again, if we have the capability of connecting our provider with the consumer, the consumer can make their appointment, make their appointment when they need to make their appointment, refill a prescription, do what they need to do, and then have that automatic system or app notify the provider, schedule the appointment, and then the provider also gets a notification as well as me saying, hey, don't forget, you have an appointment scheduled for Tuesday at X time. So having that capabilities and structure available, it spans across all. I think it expands or expands all of the two, um, small I versus the larger. So let me ask you, Michelle, let's say um, uh, you brought together the, the interoperability uh, with uh, provider information or were able to uh, send provider information with uh, interoperability and um, no surprises act. It's, it's five years from now, 10 years from now. Um, if everything that we've talked about so far is, is kind of a, a challenge and the complexity, um, where, where do you see, what's the, what's the nirvana? What's the, what's the end game? How, how would maybe from a consumer standpoint, um, how would all of this flow if, if you, you know, could design the world and make provider information flow smoothly? I think <laughs> with all of us having our own experiences with our providers and with our health plans and even with vendors scheduling, making appointments, if, if a them vendor app for me making my appointment with my primary care is not connected, okay, uh, I'm using this as an example I can make my appointments every day, every month, every year, but it's not getting to the ultimate result. What I see is that connectivity from my personal app that I choose, doesn't matter which app, my personal app that I choose to connect to my primary care, schedule that appointment, I don't have to worry about it again, I get a confirmation, automatically updates my calendar sends me a notification a week out, sends my provider a notification a week out to make sure that we're connected, that we're prepared. Because it isn't about the provider just not having the information. It's about the whole experience together. And I do think that there are more technology opportunities. I do think that um, bridging those gaps sooner than later is critical because we do um, and have experienced COVID. We're going to continue experiencing other events as such. So we need to get the technology prepared to handle whatever crisis, situation, illness, injury, wound that potentially could come up. And I do know that we've talked about um, a lot of providers in the rural areas are trying to connect with members in rural areas. That also is something that I see that needs to be solved. You, you cannot, in, in this environment today, we cannot continue this digital world that we live in not to have the connectivity that everyone needs to 
communicate. Right. Right. I, I love that vision. I, I love that vision of the idea that I make an appointment uh, on my phone. I get the confirmation, uh, get a confirmation a week out because you you layer that on certainly the interoperability rules as they're rolling out. And we've got third party app developers on that same app. We'll also be able to access our clinical information. And if we need to make sure that our doctor we're about to see is going to get that information And with the transparency requirements, we'll also get a advanced estimation of what that might actually look like in terms of what our cost sharings would be in co-insurance. And so uh, it all hopefully be on the same app or but the but the app of our choosing, as you said. So uh, I think that's kind of an exciting future. I do, too. I'm very so, excited. Uh, so this is exciting work. Um, certainly, uh, I'll just talk to the listeners here for a second. If you're a Weedy member uh, and you want to learn more information about what Michelle's doing or or any of Weedy's uh, work groups, uh, we've got some contact information uh, that with the explanation of this podcast that you can look up. You can contact an individual at uh, at uh, Weedy that can set you up. And if you're not a Weedy member, uh, we've got some other contact information, and you can uh, join Michelle on on her journey. Uh, to this, this future, uh, digital future of interoperability and, and getting provider information where it needs to go. Uh, Michelle, before we leave, any resources uh, that you want your listeners uh, maybe to look at, either either Weedy members or non-Weedy members, any places where they can uh, learn more about what you're doing or what's going on in the industry? Yes, absolutely, Matthew. There's great opportunities for everyone to join X12. Um, Weedy and also HL7, there's plenty of opportunities in the healthcare industry to really understand what everything is all about. And I say what everything, I mean provider information. Because every aspect of our healthcare industry, provider data, provider information is a key part of what we experience as consumers as well as health plans, providers, and clearinghouses and vendors. Also, if you get a chance, I um, highly recommend if you haven't joined HIMSS, that's also another location that uh, would be ideal. And in addition to HIMSS, also taking a look at the AMA, the AHA, um, also making sure that you're engaged in your current um, state because there's plenty of opportunities within each of our states. Very good. And, and and we'll just reiterate for some of the listeners out there. So we're talking about provider information. Some of the organizations that Michelle mentioned, HIMSS is H-I-M-S-S. Is that right, Michelle? Yes. And then WEDI, of course, is W-E-D-I. X12 is the, the letter X and the number 12. That's a, a standard development organization. Um, and uh, Michelle's very active in that. And you mentioned a few others. Did you? Oh, and the AMA, American Medical Association, AHA. Uh, did I miss one? AHA, American Hospital Association, AMA, American Medical Association, the ADA, which is also the American Dental Association, and then, of course, state. Oh, good. Good. Okay, very good. Well, uh, thank you, Michelle. Always good to have you on your show, and and we look forward to more information. Uh, certainly, you know the next thing on the on the docket, I think, uh, for listeners is certainly the No Surprises Act. There's some compliance uh, deadlines coming up January 1st, where directory information has to be done. Uh, so we look forward on some of uh, your education on that. And I'll remind viewers that um, uh, again, we're going to dip our toe into the No Surprises Act, Weedy, June 17th, uh, with a um, a one day event. 
that's a whole day event talking nothing about uh, nothing except the No Surprises Act. And then we're going to have a, a, a smaller uh, panel on that this month on May 20th to kind of warm us up to that uh, conversation. Michelle, uh, thanks for having us, uh, having being on the show. Thank you, Matthew. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. This has been the collective voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us and be safe.